the park. Hit him with a strike. From the national anthem to the bottom of the night. I'm in Slendy, Ego, Slendy, Ego, Slendy, Ego, Slendy, Ayy. You already know what's up. What's that? Another home run. But you know the job ain't done. Till we hold that trophy up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 425 of the Talking Cars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden with you here. It is July 9th, 2023 in the San Diego Padres. They finished off the unofficial first half of the season with a 5-1 and one homestand. Took two out of three from the Mets. That was after, obviously, sweeping the Los Angeles Angels, taking those three games there. This is what you wanted from this San Diego Padres team, right? At the end, before the all-star break here, we needed this team to start playing better baseball, and that's what we ended up getting uh, this week here at Petco Park. So as a Padres fan, I'm happy with the the performance for the most part, what I saw from these guys. Uh, But it also, you know, makes you frustrated at the same time going back in this series and you look at Friday night, right? Hassan Kim with the base running decision. There are some situations where they could have come through and they weren't able to. And the Padres, they could have had a 6-0 and homestand. So that does sting a little bit, but they're ahead of the Mets in the standings, right? That was a team that was coming in, same record as the Padres, exact same spot in the wild card picture. And the Padres are able to get ahead of them. And the pitching, I mean, the pitching was pretty encouraging. Starting pitching, bullpen, there's been ups and downs there, but you know, Nick Martinez has bounced back, for example. Like there's been some positives there. Uh, so yeah, I'm overall encouraged. The offense, I think, is doing better. Now, is it fully back? We're we're not gonna know that until the end of I think the road trip, I would say, which is gonna be 10 games long. So that's gonna be a while. That's till like almost the end of the month when the Padres will be back at Petco Park. That 10-game road trip will tell a lot about this San Diego Padres team because some would say, like I said on my post-game reaction, this is not the best time for the All-Star break because the team is playing better baseball. But I think if you look at it from a positive view, like they get time off, and we're going to see if this team is actually a good team coming out of this All-Star break because if you do believe in momentum – They can't use the momentum, right? You had a good series against the Angels, good series against the Mets, and now you would continue it if it was still going, you know, to the next series in a regular season. But now it's four days off, and then it's 10 games on the road. How are they going to do there? Are they going to be inconsistent, or are they going to continue playing like this? And you can't say it's momentum because they had four days off, right? So hopefully you get what I'm saying there. So I thought it was an encouraging series. Blake Snell pitched well. Joe Musgrove pitched well, obviously. Um, And and then, you know, there was encouraging things with the lineup. Uh, Before I get to some of the game, or all of the games, but some of the moments in this padres Met series, just want to tell you about SeatGeek real quick. Use my code TALKINGFIRES for $20 off your first order. Click the link in the description for great San Diego sports swag, Padres, Aztecs, Wave, BreakingT.com. And I wanted to go over the Padres' first-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft that happened 
on Sunday afternoon here. It happened in Seattle. Uh, so I will get to that. Uh, but just a reminder, if you want to join the show, click that link that is pinned up at the top of the chat. If you have any thoughts about the Padres, the new draft pick, how the team is going, are you optimistic about how they're going to do after the all-star break or do you need to see more? I'm kind of in the boat where I need to see more. Like I liked the homestand obviously, but I got to see this more consistently. Um, so yeah, let me know if you want to make sure I get to your comment, your question, you can use that super chat button and it will support the channel and make it very easy for me to see that comment when the live chat gets going and there's a bunch of comments and I might not be able to get to everyone. So I appreciate the support. Um, so yeah, San Diego Padres on Sunday here, they select Dylan head for their first round pick. Remember going into this draft, the Padres have a little over $5 million to spend, which is the third least amount of money that any team can spend in the major league baseball draft this year. And part of that is because of the signing of Xander Bogarts. They lost a couple of draft picks. I think the second round pick, the fifth round pick. And that's what happens when you have a high payroll. Uh, I believe that the Yankees and the Phillies have are the only two teams that have less money to spend in this draft. So the Padres, there were some guys that they were rumored to have interest in. Enrique Bradfield, I believe out of Vanderbilt, was one of those guys. And he got snatched up beforehand. So they probably had to get someone that was not at the top of their draft board, but he's probably near the top. Jim Callis described Dylan Head as someone that is more physical than Enrique Bradfield, and he could have a higher ceiling offensively than Enrique Bradfield. Now, Bradfield obviously was in college. Head is coming out of high school, uh, but Jim Callis says they got to be jumping up and down about this first-round pick, and this is a classic A.J. Preller player and a classic A.J. Preller draft pick. I'm not going to act like I know a ton about this guy, but just what I saw on MLB Network when they made the pick, 80 speed, someone up the middle. A.J. loves, and you got to say Chris Kemp, I guess, too, because he's part of this. They love up the middle guys because guess what? Those guys have versatility. If they play short, they can move around the diamond. If they play center field, they're probably athletic enough to move around the diamond. and. This guy, obviously, with the speed, that's what stands out. The new rules, I think speed definitely benefits you. And it seems like, you know, coming out of high school, this guy's only going to get stronger, only going to grow. And he could end up being a big part of the San Diego Padres' future. Now, that's obviously assuming A.J. Preller doesn't deal this guy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think – Another thing that's good about this is because of the Juan Soto trade that they made last year, right? Losing Robert Hassel, losing James Wood. Those are those were going to be two key players in the outfield for the Padres if they didn't make that Soto deal. It was going to happen. So now bringing in Dylan Head here, now he's younger than those guys, Hassel and Wood, but you can have that guy hopefully be a part of your future Maybe have Juan Soto long-term. I don't know about that, but you get what I'm saying. Like they replace Hassel or they replace, yeah, Hassel or Wood with someone like Dylan Head. Now, Wood might end up being better. He's bigger. Um, some, I think some were comparing him to Aaron Judge, um, kind of that freak of an athlete there. But for, you know, they didn't get Bradfield and 
but they got someone that was similar to him and someone up the middle, which Preller likes. So I think the Padres are happy about this selection and we'll see what the Padres have to say about it. uh, I believe at the end of the night when AJ Preller, I believe is supposed to speak. So that was the first round pick for the Padres. I know someone in the chat uh, asked me to give my thoughts on that guy. I'm not going to act like I was sitting in the stands with AJ or with Chris Kemp and watching this guy swing. Don't know a ton about him, but that was just pretty much what I heard and saw uh, on the MLB Network broadcast. So quick break here. Check out Gaglione Bros Famous Cheesesteaks and Garlic Fries on Friars Road. You can visit their website, gaglionebros.com, for their entire menu and enjoy their cheesesteaks and fries at Petco Park and Snapdragon Stadium as well. I wanted to play the MLB Network clip that I posted on my social media, Instagram, Twitter, at Talking Fires. I'm on Threads, but I didn't post it there. Threads doesn't have a desktop website yet, so it's a little bit more difficult for me to post videos on there. Uh, but here is that clip, Rob Manfred announcing the pick, and then Jim, Jim Callis giving a little bit of thoughts on the Padres' first-round pick, Dylan Head. There you go. They got to be jumping up and down. So we'll see what he ends up being, but looks like that'll be an exciting player to watch in this farm system moving forward. I believe there's 20 rounds in the Major League Baseball draft, which is less than there used to be. Uh, But the Padres, they will have more draft picks, obviously. Not as many as other teams because they did lose some draft picks, but um, there should be some good talent coming in to this organization. All right, let's get to what probably most people are here for, Padres, Mets, reaction, some discussion about where this franchise is going into the All-Star break. Let's start with Friday's game. We'll go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, an opportunity that the Padres had to win that game. Um, You know, coming off three wins in a row against the Los Angeles Angels, um, dominating Shohei on July 4th. Like, it was a good series. So to lose on Friday was disappointing. You know, Darvish didn't have super huge high expectations for him. This was his first outing since June because – He obviously had to deal with the flu and that sickness, Um, but I thought he was okay. Not his best. You know, there there were times where it didn't feel like he could throw a strike, but you look at the line and kept the Padres in the game. You know, the Padres, at the end of the day, I believe they should have won this game if Hassan Kim didn't make that base running mistake in the seventh inning. But yet Darvish finishes five innings, seven hits allowed, three earned runs on three walks, four punch outs for him. And now, 
he should get he's going to get more rest and i believe he's starting the first game of that philly series out of the all-star break so that would be that would be good to be able to get darvish out there right away and he gets some extra rest uh for or during this all-star break after having that start so that's good there seventh inning so obviously we all know hassan kim he doubles to kick off the inning but he sees tommy fam kind of being lackadaisical and he tries to run to third stretch it into a triple he ends up getting thrown out i think tommy fam was trying to do that on purpose to try to get kim to go to third obviously he's former teammates with hassan kim the whole collision right we all know about that that happened at wrigley in chicago and so he ends up being the right guy throws out kim and so kim's pissed off because he knew he made a mistake there like you have soto tatis manny coming up behind you and soto ends up getting a hit right after Hassan kim did that that would have given the padres the uh go ahead run i believe at that point or no i think they had the lead they would have extended the lead and the padres would have won in regulation in, in nine innings instead of losing an extra innings when uh the bullpen gave up four runs in that 10th inning uh by the way they didn't want to use Co- cosgrove bomel did not want to use tom cosgrove and he wasn't going to uh, but it went to extra innings, so he had to go to him. So there's another effect of Kim's mistake there. Um, so he's pissed off, cost the team, maybe the game, cost him a run there. And he ends up making another mistake. He kicks a water cooler that he thought was empty, kicks it in frustration, and he ends up hurting his toe. And so he has to miss saturday's game now the padres they obviously win the game and matthew batten had a home run and brandon dixon came through with an rbi like it ended up being fine but he still shouldn't have done that like it was still a mistake by him and today if you were at the ballpark i don't know how much the camera showed the toe but you could tell ha sung kim he wasn't feeling too great with that toe not not great, you know, rounding first base. I think it was his first at bat trying to stretch or may, maybe thinking about going to, but he just didn't have the speed. There, It felt like there was a little bit of a limp there with that toe, and it's understandable, obviously. He was he had treatment around the clock, I guess, on Saturday, according to Bob Melvin. So, yeah, it was just a mistake that didn't need to happen and then another mistake that didn't need to happen. And so uh, I guess you could say he only cost the Padres for Friday night because they won on Saturday. But at the time, it was like, man, that's a double whammy because he cost Friday. And, you know, before the game on Saturday, it's like, man, wish Sung Kim was in this game here, but he wasn't. And thank goodness everything ended up turning out fine. Uh, but, yeah, that was really the story on Friday. You know, extra innings comes. And as I said in my postgame reaction outside Petco on Friday, I wasn't even really pissed off about the 10th inning. Like some people I've seen want to get on Manny because, oh, he hit the home run when it wasn't clutch. Well, what did he do today? He hit two bombs off of Scherzer. You know, I think he's starting to swing the bat better. He did not, he has not had a good season. We, we understand that. I acknowledge that, but he is starting to come around a little bit, I think. Um, and the defense is always there. He can't control when he homers. Like he's always trying to do damage up there at the plate. And so I didn't think the Padres were going to win even when he did hit the home run. So I guess it was a meaningless home run, but I don't think we should be getting on Manny for hitting a home run. (laughs) I saw some fans like, of course, Manny hits a home run when it's meaningless. Like, come on. Um, You know, but extra innings. So Cosgrove comes in the game and ends up 
allowing what four runs. Uh, but you know, the first run that he allowed, there was a runner on second base to start the inning. And there were a couple balls that were hit down the line that weren't hit hard. Should we get mad at Crony for not being positioned good? Or should we get mad at the coaching staff for not positioning Crony where he should be? Or maybe should we just get mad at the baseball gods? Because that's just baseball. Like maybe that's where Crony was supposed to be standing. I'm, I'm, I, I'm willing to bet that that's where the coaching staff wanted Crony to stand. And it ended up, both of those balls ended up getting just beyond his glove. Uh, and he couldn't come up with them. You know, sometimes that's just baseball. It's not like those were rockets. Um, so whatever. And Cosgrove, he he had pitched, I think, five times in seven days. So yeah, Bowmill did not want to have to use him, but had to use him in extra innings there. And this will be good for Cosgrove too, because obviously this is his, I think, right, first year in the big leagues. So to get him some rest and hopefully he'll be ready to go. And the bull, you know, Nick Martinez, please get some rest. And Tim Hill, please get some rest. Hopefully Steven Wilson can come back at some point during this Philly series. Um, and that will help the bullpen. Josh Hader, hopefully he gets some rest. I don't care if he pitches in the all-star game or not. Um, I probably prefer him not to like, just get some rest, please. Um, same thing with Soto, like cool. They're all-stars, but just get some rest. We care more about uh, the unofficial second half of the season, you know, post all-star break. We care about how you do there, not how you do at the all-star game. Uh, but I'm thinking the bullpen's going to be in a in better shape coming out of the all-star break with this rest. Like if there's one part of the team that needs this rest, I would say it's the bullpen. There's some guys that you could point to on the offense, right? Xander Bogarts. Uh, he had the quarter zone shot today, by the way, after today's game. And he does not, according to Dennis Lynn, he does not expect to have another quarter zone shot at, at any point this season. So that's good news. Um, and, Remember, he had the quarter zone shot the first time this year in spring training. I think it's right when he came back from the World Baseball Classic. Had a couple days off, and he started the season as one of the best players in baseball. Was hitting over 300 a month, uh, yeah, a month into the season. Started with a you know 30 game on base streak, right? I think it was a little bit more than that because he technically got on base, uh, and in the rule book it wasn't counted as part of the on base streak, but whatever. My point is he got off to a really good start. Then he got hit in the hand and it went all downhill from there. You can't take quarter zone shots all the time, I guess. So we were just waiting for that moment to come. And so hopefully, you know, Bogarts, I don't want him swinging a bat. Uh, he did mention that, I think, to the media that he doesn't plan on swinging a bat during this all-star break and don't like get away from it, relax it's not like you're going to forget how to swing the bat and you're going to forget how to hit the ball, right? Like just rest. Hopefully this shot can really help and he can be back to being a great Xander Bogarts and being a great piece uh, as the four hitter or the five hitter, wherever the heck Bowmel decides to have him when the season resumes on Friday. So Friday's loss, you know, it was disappointing because they should have won the game, I think. They're 0-8 in extra innings. So what is that about? Is it lack of clutchness, if that's a word? Uh, is it just situation? I think sometimes the bullpen has not helped, you know, put the Padres in a hole. Uh, but other times, the offense has not been able to do their job and come through. Sometimes you get a little bit unlucky as well. And I think the Padres were a little bit unlucky in that 10th inning with some of the runs that Cosgrove allowed. Again, those balls weren't hit hard. But yeah, 
it's not just extra innings either. There's a lot of games, a lot of one-run games this year where the Padres have just struggled. They've really struggled. Uh, I forget, was it last week, a couple weeks ago? I think I saw in baseball reference that they were 5-15 and 15 in one-run games this year. So, yeah, that tells part of the story for this Padres team this year. And they were really good in those close games last year. And look where their record was, you know. Look where it ended up being. And I, I just don't see that happening for the Padres this year. They could still get in the postseason, but 89 wins, they'd have to play really, really well, like Atlanta Braves well, to get to that point. All right, Saturday's game. I will get to the comments. I don't want anyone to think that I'm forgetting about you guys. Uh, if you want to make sure I get to your comment or your question, use that Super Chat button, and that makes it very easy for me to find your comment. Um, and if you want to join the show, click that link that is pinned up at the top of the chat. So moving to Saturday's game, the Matthew Batten game, huh? Padres win three to one. And it was surprising. Obviously on my pregame thoughts, I was not expecting, uh, you know, I said, I, I think I said, yeah, don't expect much from Matthew Batten and Brandon Dixon. Uh, what's important is going to be, what does the top of the lineup do? What do the big guys in this lineup do? And what an idiot I am, huh? Soto, Manny, and Bogey combined to go 0 for 11 in this game. Brandon Dixon and Matthew Batten drove in three runs. So that's baseball. You never know who's going to come through. That's part of the uh, the beauty of this game when you're on the right side of things, right? It's, it's part of what makes this game suck when you're the Padres and you have some no-name come in and dominate you, you know? Uh, but... Padres on Saturday, they had it go their way, win three to one. And Blake freaking Snell. Holy cow, this guy is on something. He is pitching really, really well right now. And the fact that this guy's not an all-star is a joke. Alex Cobb and Kodai Senga get to be all-stars over Blake Snell. I mean, where do we begin with this? You want to go with the name, right? There's some people that think Ailey De La Cruz should be an all-star, right? Big name. One of the, the faces of the game, I think, already. I think that's fair to say. One of those must-watch players. If you make a list, like top five must-watch players, Ailey De La Cruz is probably on that, right? Along with Tatis and Otani, maybe Acuna. Like, it, he's on there. Some people think he should be an all-star because of that name, right? But he hasn't played in very many games this year. If you want to go with that argument for Blake Snell, like the face, who's the bigger name and all that, like, okay, Blake Snell fits that over Alex Cobb or Kodai Senga, right? And if you want to go to the numbers, guess what? Blake Snell fits that as well. He deserves to be an all-star with that as well. Look at these numbers that he's had. I mean, we can start with the start that he had last night. Goes six innings, one hit, no earned runs, walks three guys, but he punches out 11. Lower his ERA lowers his ERA to 2.85. Eight starts with Gary Sanchez that he's had so far. He has a 0.56 ERA in those outings. That's the best since 1913. Third best since 1913 when I think ERA was like started to become official. He's only behind some dude named Nolan Ryan, never heard of that guy, and Irvin Santana and their catching combos. That's it. Blake and Gary are number three on that. He is pitching so well. 
And I put out that tweet the other day, and I think I put it out on Instagram as well. Let me let me go look at that post that I had. It was comparing Snell, Cobb, and Senga because I could compare Corbin Burns, but there is a better case for Burns to make it over Snell than there is for Alex Cobb and Kodai Senga, who, by the way, is like what the Mets number three starter. So here's the numbers. Blake Snell, a 3.03 ERA. This was entering his start over the weekend. So because this is when Senga and Cobb were elected All-Stars. 3.03 ERA, Senga 3.31, and Cobb 2, it was sub 3. So, okay, ERA, Cobb has him, but Snell has Senga. And then starts, he has 17 starts at that time, which is more than Cobb and Senga had. And if you want to look at the innings, obviously that's more than those two guys had. You look at the strikeouts, 121 entering his last start for Snell. Way more than Kodai Senga, who I think had 113 and Alex Cobb had less than 90. You look at the whip, 126, I believe, for Snell and 128 for Senga, 134, I think, for Alex Cobb. He has the numbers over those guys. He's from Washington. He's pitching like as the best guy in baseball for the last couple months. He just won the National League Pitcher of the Month. So, yeah, it's stupid that this guy's not an all-star. Now, I don't care if he would have pitched. I probably would have preferred that he didn't pitch in the game. But, like, I think we should care that he's not an all-star. I just, just respect our guys, you know. Tatis got snubbed. Kim, okay, I could say he's not an all-star, whatever. I think he's had a really good year. But Snell and Tatis, how are those guys not all-stars? Tatis doesn't make it over Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and Snell doesn't make it over Kodai Senga and Alex Cobb. I mean, come on. There were numbers that I saw from Kevin Acey. Where are they? Here it is. So... As of Sunday morning, this was his Padres Daily Newsletter. 2.85 ERA for Snell, fourth in ERA among qualified starters, second in punch outs, 132, first in average batting average against, 200. That's someone that should get elected, like initially in the starting pitcher pool, not just be a replacement, but be elected initially. He wasn't elected initially, and he wasn't elected as a replacement, which I guess is decided by the commissioner's office. I saw somewhere today, like, are they, they must not be watching Blake Snell. Cause if you're watching Blake Snell and you can look or just, you don't have to watch him. Look at the stinking game logs, look at the game logs. And that will tell the story. This guy has been tremendous. He is an all-star. He's our all-star. Even if major league baseball doesn't want to say that he is an all-star. Who, who disagrees that Blake Snell is an all-star? If you do, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll agree to disagree because the numbers say it all. The numbers just do. And this is a great time for him, obviously, to be pitching like this because he's obviously going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and he is going to cash in on that. So, yeah, you know, Saturday – that was Blake Snell. Like, that was the story. I mean, B Matt Batten, I want to mention him. Like, it was a great moment. But Blake, obviously, that's the story. Matthew Batten, a two-run home run, 
in his first at-bat this season, his first home run in the big leagues, played a little bit, I think, against the Dodgers in September last year. But that's a really cool moment for him. He's not known as a home run hitter. He wasn't even hitting that well if you go look at his numbers like overall this season. He'd been playing better as of late before getting uh, called up to the Padres. But like overall, it was nothing that blew you away, especially considering that he plays in El Paso with the Chihuahuas, you know, and that's known as hitter friendly. But hey, he gets the home run and he made some good defensive plays too. He had the tag on the stolen base attempt by the Mets uh, and he made a diving catch as well. So really cool moment there for Matthew Batten. And then Brandon Dixon as well, driving in a run. I said an RBI single on the post-game reaction. Sorry, it was not an RBI single. It was a fielder's choice technically because Crony thought that Starling Marte was going to catch that ball, and so he stayed at first base and ended up dropping. I thought Marte was going to catch it too. Like, well, I don't know what he was doing there. And Crony obviously didn't have, he, he couldn't get to second base in time. So it technically was not a single, even though it was a, it was a blue pit. Right. Crony just didn't get to second. Um, all right. I see a super chat here. Thank you so much for the support, Mark. He asked, does it bother you that Snell is finally performing early on in his contract year? Do you think that's part of the reason he's doing well? Oh, so you're saying like maybe he's only doing well because he's motivated by the contract year. I, I'm sure like him seeing, knowing that free agency is this close, he's, he's motivated by it. But I hope that that's not his main motivation. I hope that his main motivation is to go win a World Series. Seems like he really likes being in San Diego, uh, and he never has won one. So he got really close with the Tampa Bay Rays, right? We all know what happened against the Dodgers. And No, it doesn't bother me. I mean, obviously I wish that Snell would pitch like this all the time. I mean, everyone would. But no, it as for, you know, just this year, it doesn't bother me that Snell is performing early on in this contract year. It's not early anymore. Like the last two months he's been doing this. And actually early on, he was a little shaky, a little inconsistent. But yes, I get your point. Like more often than not, usually he doesn't pitch like this in the first half of the season, but he is doing it. So I do understand some fans jumping to that. Like he's only doing this because he's, going into free agency. I hope that's not the case. I'm not bothered by it because you can't change the past. I'm just happy that he's on the Padres right now and he's absolutely shoving, you know. Um I'd be fine with Snell coming back. I just I think that would be a risky contract to give out because he's going to get a ton of money if he continues pitching like this. He's going to get a ton of money. And so do the Padres believe that this is or does Peter Scyther believe, I guess? Does he believe that this is the actual Blake Snell or is he going to look back and say, well, remember all the inconsistency that he had? That's a lot of money to give to one starting pitcher. Maybe we should just give a few starters one-year deals and spread the money out instead of giving it all to Blake. We already have Darvish and Musgrove locked up long-term. Do we need to lock us lock ourselves in again long-term? Like, Do we want that? Scott Boer's client, all that. That's that's stuff that the Padres are going to have to weigh. I appreciate the question, Mark. Thank you so much. All right. I'll get to the rest of the chat here in a little bit. Talking about Sunday's game today, Padres win 6-2. to 
going into this game, I thought it was going to be a good matchup. Musgrove against Max Scherzer, and it ended up being an okay matchup. For Padres fans, it was great because Joe Musgrove shoved. Uh, what a surprise. He shoves against the New York Mets. Just another day where Musgrove owns the New York Mets. Doesn't get old for Padres fans, right? Um, Max Scherzer, it's another day where Max Scherzer gives up bombs to Manny Machado. Manny obviously going deep off of him in game one of the wild card series in New York last year. Uh, and then he goes deep twice, goes to left field. That ball was crushed into the second deck of the Western medal. And then he takes one oppo. Thank goodness uh, for the Petco park porch there. Right. Don't know how many ballparks that gets out of, but that was like a power that just, that was Manny showing off some of the power that he has. And I know it seems like sometimes this year he doesn't have a whole lot of power, but I mean, he showed it on that swing right there. He got everything into that. And for some people, that would be a fly out to right field. But Manny was able to hit that over the wall. Um, so five runs driven in for him on the day. And then there was another RBI hit later in the game. Uh, I believe it was Grish, right? Grish drove in Gary Sanchez. So, yeah, you know, Musgrove, he's kind of like Snell. I don't think he's pitching as great as Snell right now. But he's pitching really well. He's pitching like that all-star last year, right? Um, six innings today, no earned runs, no walks, seven punch-outs. It was his ninth consecutive start, allowing three earned runs or less, I believe. I was looking on baseball reference in the game logs. Six of those being no earned runs or one earned run. Maybe I didn't include today's start on that, actually. So maybe. Yeah, let me look. I'm going to go back to the game logs and then add today's start in there if I did not. So what I say, last nine starts, right? Yeah, nine, ninth straight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, no, no, no. I did. I, that's right. Ninth straight. Yeah, so I did include that. So ninth straight outing. Three earned runs or less. Six of those being zero earned runs or one earned run. And yeah, like before the game, I was reading Kevin Acey's Padres Daily. And he mentioned how Joe Musgrove went back and watched the entire Padres Mets game from last year, game three. Usually pitchers, you know, they look at matchups, right? They're, they're given this iPad and it just has pitches on it. It doesn't have the commentators on it. It's just the pitches so they can get through it quick not the dead time in between pitches and all that, right? But Joe went back and watched it as a fan. And he said that he kind of got something from that, maybe a little bit of fire in there. And I don't know if he used that on the mound today, but it certainly helped if he did. And even if he didn't, like, it, it felt to me at least, like, no duh, this guy's going to pitch well today. Last game before the All-Star break, he's coming off a good outing against the Angels where he was motivated then, he's motivated now, he's pissed off that this team is still under 500. Like, we know that. And so, yeah, there's plenty of motivation, even if they weren't playing the New York Mets, you know? So great adding there. And so, you know, where does this team stand right now? I think it, it sits in a decent spot, considering the circumstances. Obviously, we love for this Padres team to have met expectations thus far into the season and we would love 
for them to be 10 games over 500 instead of what four games under right now right we would love that but that's just not the case and considering how they ended this pre all-star break stretch here you know this home stand i think you got to be pretty happy about the direction of the team things obviously could be better i know that you know they're they're still in fourth place in the nl west they're still eight and a half games back of the Dodgers and the D-backs now, tied for first, I guess, uh, eight and a half back in the division. And how far back are they in the wild card? Let's see here. Six games back. So they made up a little bit of ground, but that's still a good amount. Like, they're still going to have to play really good baseball. Milwaukee's ahead of them. The Phillies are ahead of them. And the Giants. You know, they got to beat all those teams to get the final wild card spot, right? So three teams ahead of them. I think they can beat Milwaukee, but like there's a big difference in the Padres record and the Brewers record right now. The Brewers are seven games over 500. The Padres are four, they're four games under 500. Like that's a lot of, that's not going to be, that's not like a three night thing where you can all of a sudden have the same record as the Milwaukee Brewers. Like it's going to take time and the Brewers don't even hold the third wild card spot. Right. So I, I understand Padres fans that are still frustrated and I'm, I'm don't let me, don't get me wrong. I'm still frustrated with how the team played going into the all-star break here. Just I'm talking about in totality, but this homestand was encouraging and there is still time. This team has to play really good baseball, but there is still time to get back into this wild card race and still make the postseason. It's still going to, it still probably feels like a long shot, but the, the talent is still on this team. I don't think this team's going to make a ton of huge additions. Uh, in fact, I, I I don't think they're going to make one huge addition at the deadline. Like the talent is here. They could add a reliever, make some moves on the margins, but I don't think they're going to make a huge move. There's no Shohei Otani move coming, you know, Corbin Burns or anything like that. Like this is the team here. So they've just got to play better. And I, I think we've seen them. They've been playing better. They played better uh, over the homestand. So I'm I'm trying to look at it from that angle about where this team stands right now. Like I'm encouraged going into this all-star break, but these next 10 games, this 10-game road trip through Philly, Toronto, and Detroit, that's going to tell us a lot about this team because there's no momentum. There's momentum, I guess, if you believe in it um, and they play good in the Philly series and they can use that momentum in Detroit and Toronto, Toronto first, and then Detroit. But in terms of like now, right, they had a good home stand, five and one, could have been six and oh, if not for Friday's loss. But now there's four days off. So recharge, are you a good baseball team or not? Like you can't rely on the momentum going into the Philadelphia series. You, you haven't played for, you haven't played since Sunday, right? And it'll be Friday when they start that. And it's a four game series over three days. There's a scheduled doubleheader there. So some of these teams are good that they're going to be playing coming up. It's a long road trip. You don't have the fans to maybe give you that extra jolt of energy or whatever. So how are you going to do? I think it's going to tell us a lot about this team. And when they come back from that 10-game road trip, guess where this team's going to be? About a week away from the trade deadline. And AJ is probably going to be already having a ton of discussions with ownership, front office, coaching staff, other teams, obviously, about different moves. Moves don't happen usually, you know, with one phone call 
all of a sudden a deal is done. You know, it takes time. So it's up to the players here to determine where they want to be when the trade deadline nears, when this team comes back home at the end of the month to, I believe, face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. All right, is there, before I get to the comments, just want to make sure I hit on everything that I wanted to hit on here in these three games. Again, Musgrove, Snell, really good performances from them. Uh, and Bogey with the cortisone shot, hopefully that will be really good for him. You know, the, the extra rest, right, that he's going to get. And then after the cortisone shot that he had the first time around, he played really well. So hopefully that will help the wrist and he comes back strong. Hopefully there's no like hit by pitch in the wrist or weird tag play or weird anything. And the wrist can be fine for the majority of the rest of the year because they're going to need them. Like they've dug this hole. They're digging out of it a little bit, but we'll see what happens on the road trip. All right, let's get to the chat here after this break. I want to tell you about the best and easiest way to play fantasy sports. It's Underdog Fantasy. They have great pick'em games and best ball tournaments. In pick'up games, just pick higher or lower on two to five players' stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. You can go cross-team, cross-league, and even cross-sport. Best ball revolves around the draft, which is what every fan loves the most about fantasy and it eliminates the hassle of having to manage your roster all season long, resulting in a fun and easy fantasy product. How does it work exactly? You enter a contest where you participate in a snake draft against other users. That lineup that you drafted competes against every other draft in the entire contest. The better the combined performance of your team, the more money you win. After your lineup is all played, Underdog will take the best performing players and automatically set them as your starting lineup. That's it. No waivers, no trades, no worrying about who to start or sit. After you complete your draft, your part is done. Underdog Fantasy offers best ball in a variety of ways, including daily contests, weekly contests, playoff contests, and season-long contests. You can either enter into these and compete against thousands of other entrants for huge prizes, or, if you'd like, you can enter into a private draft with friends and family to compete for a smaller prize pool. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Sign up now by clicking the link in the description or by using the promo code TALKINGFRIERS and you'll double your first deposit up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of $10 or more. So if you deposit $100, you get $100 free. If you deposit $10, you get $10 free. All right, let's get to the chat. Just a reminder, if you want to join the show, you can click that link that is pinned up at the top of the chat, and I will allow you to come in here and give your thoughts on anything Padres that's happening right now, just where your head's at going into the All-Star break. Obviously, Home Run Derby on Monday. Just a quick rundown of what's happening. So Monday, home run derby, no Padres in it. Tuesday, all-star game, Soto coming off the bench for now. And Josh Hader, maybe he gets used, maybe he doesn't. I don't really care if either get used. Like, I want them to get the rest. I don't need an injury happening. Um, like, let's just be healthy here. But, yeah, so the Padres, they have a couple all-star reps. I think they should have four, maybe five. I don't think we should be complaining too much 
we can complain about Snell for sure and Tatis, I think, but uh, five might be stretching it considering that this Padres team is under 500, right? And they're, they haven't met expectations, right? They're, they're one of the uh, more underwhelming teams this season. All right. Let's see. Okay, let's go to Mike here. A few long winning streaks after the All-Star break is a must in order to get back into the race. Three games is a joke. Yeah, I mean, three games, like, yeah, you're talking about a three-game winning streak. Yeah, I think if this Padres team wants to be serious, and they need to go on one of those big runs. Where do they need to win 10 out of 12? I mean, that would be nice, and that means that they did have a winning streak, obviously, just math-wise. They did have a win, a winning streak bigger than three games. And you look at the teams like the Braves and the best teams in baseball, like they're they're obviously having those winning streaks. And when you don't, when you can't put together those winning streaks, like it feels like it's always an up, down, up, down, up, down, step forward, step forward, step back, step forward, step back, step back. You know, like you can't find the consistency there. And it's great to win series, but yeah, you'd like to see more sweeps like they did against the Angels. That's the only three-game sweep the Padres have had this year. So, yeah, I agree, Mike. They they need to have some more of those. JD's third, need winning months from here on out. Need an absurd winning percentage over the final 70 games. I don't know if they need an absurd winning percentage. Like, it needs to be really good. But they, I don't think the Padres need to have an absurd winning percentage because there are teams in front of them, those teams don't have to collapse. If they play kind of like 500 baseball and the Padres play really good, well, then the Padres can get in, you know? So I think, yeah, do they need to do, do they need to play an absurd winning percentage? Like they need to play really, really well. Yes, they need to do that if those teams play really, really well. But if those teams don't and the Padres play well, then the Padres can close that gap and, and maybe get maybe get in. Austin uh, in the comments. Yeah, so I already gave my thoughts there on Dylan Head, the Padres' first-round pick. Kind of like the guy that they wanted out of Vanderbilt, right? Uh, Enrique Bradfield, right? Center fielder, high schooler that the Padres got. Really good speed. That's what Preller likes, those up-the-middle guys that have that potential that ceiling uh that high ceiling so we'll see what he ends up being or he ends up getting traded we'll see at some point though you probably want guys now i'm not gonna act like i know a ton about this guy but let's say he's good you want someone like dylan head and jackson merrill and robbie snelling like you want those guys ethan salas obviously you want and probably need those guys to come up like the Baltimore Orioles have with their farm system, right? And those guys coming up. You need those guys to come up because you're not going to have a $270 million payroll every year for the next decade, right? You need those smaller core players, smaller salary, not smaller in like length, but um, you need those smaller salary players to help you to be able to have a contending team without having to pay all the taxes and lose the draft picks every year, right? Because you know Peter Seidler and AJ, if he is going to be here at the end of the year, um, you're you're not going to – you're just 
not going to want to continue to be losing draft picks. Preller, Preller loves the draft picks, right? Um, and I don't think Peter is going to want to have to spend that much money every year because you can't because the Padres can't develop or they end up trading guys. You know, they end up trading top prospects, right? Uh, Ace Gang says Slam Diego song hitting different though. Um, yeah, today. Today's a good day to have it. I know that there's been a lot of days where some are like, quit it with the Slam Diego song, Ben, because the team is not Slam Diego, right? They're not playing well. But even those during even during those times, I was like, I get it. We're pro, you know, we're past the Slam Diego stuff, probably. I think that's fair to say. But the song is more to, to support what Joe Dreams does. Hopefully, you guys know who that is outside Petco Park that is always singing on the bridge there. Um, it's really more to support him than be like, oh, I still think this is Slam Diego. You know, it's, yeah, Slam Diego, I, I get it. That was a, a little bit, a little bit of time ago. You know, that, that time is probably passed. But the, the offense is doing better. So I think today it's more appropriate for that song to play, right? Yeah, Devin uh, brings up a good point here about Nick Martinez. Martinez bounced back. That was a positive from this series as well. Obviously, he had struggled and, on Friday when he came into that game, he ended up getting out of it and he got that big double play and he was super pumped up. Like that was playoff pumped up Nick Martinez right there. I hadn't seen that in a while. And so that was amazing to see. But on Friday night, I was not confident in him going into the game. And I love Nick Martinez. Usually I am very confident in Nick, but not the way that he was pitching. It seemed like he was throwing a lot of meatballs up there. Uh, but this weekend he bounced back. So Props to him. And yeah, Devin, Manny is having a good July. Yeah. If you let's look at his splits here. Let's see if I'm able to load that up here. Dennis Lynn tweeted something out about that. I know it's a small sample size, so I don't want to get carried away here. You know, there's a much bigger sample bigger sample size of him struggling this year than him doing really well. Um, but if we go month by month, I think we can do that. Yeah, July. So in April hit 233. I know averages and everything, but it does tell some of the story. 233 in April, 217 in May, 262 in June. And so far, I know it's eight games, but 406. Manny is hitting with a 1,000 slugging percentage in the month of July. So yeah, hopefully things are turning it around and he can use this. You know, he's not going to the all-star game, obviously doesn't deserve that this year. Hopefully, the rest will do him really well. It, it, that will be a blessing for him, uh, just like it'll be a blessing for Xander. And I think you can throw Nick Martinez into that category. You can throw everyone into that category. You know, the baseball season is so long, you need to have rest. Um, and so, yeah, every player in baseball is happy that this rest is coming, I would think. Yeah, I agree, Austin. Most for the most part, yeah. When Manny is going, the Padres win. You look back, back even you know Manny with Baltimore. I think if you look at those numbers, when he's had a good year, the Orioles had some success. When the Padres have had success, Manny is at the forefront of that. You look at last year, obviously, Manny was, I think, the MVP of the National League. I know he didn't win it, but I think he should have won it. Right, 2020, if I remember correctly, he had a pretty good year. I know it was short, but 
Padres had some success that year too. 2021, eh. 2019, he admitted to not performing at his, or not maybe not trying his best, um, not staying in the best shape. Maybe I'm, I'm not quoting him, but maybe slacking off a little bit at the end of that year. You know, they were out of it, didn't have the best year, and the Padres didn't have success, right? So it's not a one-person's game, but Manny is the superstar on this team. He's one of the captains of this team. So what when he is playing well, usually that's going to set the tone and some good things are going to happen for this Padres team. Austin says, Ben, when this team stops, go, or when is this team stopping going to stop losing streaks when we are a game from over 500 is... Wait, hang on, hang on. Let me reread this. Because I know some people, some they mean to say something else when they type in here and it comes out weird. But I think that was just my fault. Ben, when this team stops going on losing streaks, when we are a game from going over 500 is when I will believe in this team. That makes more sense. Yes. I, I get that. Yeah. Like they need to, if they're not going to have these big winning streaks, don't have the five game losing streak either. You know, like you, you, you don't want to be digging a deeper hole because the clock just continues to inch closer to the deadline and closer to the end of the season. You're just digging a deeper hole for yourself. You're making it harder. So yeah. And that's definitely fair. If that's when you want to believe and they get over 500, that is, I, I think that's a very fair point. And that's a very, yeah, a very fair um, objective. Like for you, if, if that's when you want to believe when they get over 500, that is more than fair. Uh, Devin says, AJ drafts high school dudes, not enough college dudes. Well, from what I was reading, it looked like the Padres were going to draft that college guy from Vandy, or they wanted him, Enrique Bradfield. But then he obviously was off the board. They were looking at that Arizona player. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he went off the board. So, yes, in the past he has drafted high school guys, but he has gone college guys as well. I think he likes to get those high-ceiling, high-potential high school guys in the first round. And those guys end up signing with the Padres because they're like, hey, I'm a first-round pick. Maybe I didn't expect this, or maybe I didn't expect to go this high. But the Padres are giving the, giving me this opportunity, so I'm going to take it, you know? Um, and also, there's also some times in the past where it's like, no, duh, pick the high school player. Don't go pick the college player. You pick the high school player because you see the talent, right? With Mackenzie Gore out of North Carolina, uh, a high school, I think, in North Carolina, like, I think Abrams was out of high school too, right? Like sometimes it's obvious, like, yes, you go get the high school guy. Sometimes it's not as obvious, but if it's obvious, don't, don't, you don't just go pick the college guy because, oh, maybe he's closer to the big leagues. Like, no, you pick the guy that's the, the most talented guy. And AJ loves the up the middle guys too. I think that has to play a role in it too. Maybe there's some times where the high school guys, are just better up the middle than who's available at that pick compared to guys in college up the middle. You know, I'm not going to act like I know a ton about the draft class from this year. I'm just saying like, that's probably how they're thinking. And that could be why there's more high school guys selected, especially early on for the Padres than maybe college guys. 
you know, if they had the number one or number two pick, guess what? I think they would have picked they would have picked a college guy. They would have went with the Paul Skeens dude from LSU, or they they would have went with his teammate. I think Dylan Dylan Cruz is that his name? Uh, they would have went with one of those two guys, right? But that's not where they were picking. Yeah, Dylan Cruz is that guy's name. He ended up going number two to the Washington Nationals. Some thought that maybe Cruz was going to go one. Um, if I were the GM, I'd probably want to go with a position player, not a pitcher. Uh, just because, you know, pitching with the injuries and all that. But the Skeens dude looks pretty elite. Uh, JD's third says, any pick they'd spin as a positive because the media is AJ's puppets. Or because, I mean, let's be honest, myself included, the people in the media here in San Diego, are they following these high school players around the country? No. They're just seeing what Jim Callis is saying, like I am as well, seeing what they're saying and saying, hmm, this could be a good pick for the Padres. This could be a good player for the Padres. Like, is Jim Cal like, we're going to, you expect people that don't follow the draft, that don't really know who these guys are, to say, oh, horrible pick by, by A.J. Preller. It's not like the NFL draft or the NBA draft where, I think more people follow the college game. They follow these prospects, you know, and they could give probably a little bit better of an opinion on some of the picks. These guys are in high school in Indiana or high school in Illinois, right? Or North Carolina. Like they don't, we don't know much about these guys. So I think some people have to spin it as a positive because why would they spin it as a negative when you know nothing about the guy? Right, you just look at the potential, and that's what a lot about you know the draft is. It's it's about potential, and I think that Major League Baseball could do a little bit better. I know this is kind of not the point, but I think Major League Baseball could do a little bit better of a job marketing the draft. Um, I think part of what's been good is them putting it on ESPN as well, not just MLB Network. Um, but like it's never going to get to the NFL level. It's never going to get to the level of the NBA draft in terms of popularity because of all of the high schoolers that are picked. And even the college players, they're going to be playing in Des Moines, Iowa or whatever, or Lake Elsinore or El Paso. They're going to be playing there for four or five years before they even get to the big leagues. Right? So only diehard baseball fans are going to be continuing to follow these guys once they're drafted. They don't get drafted, and immediately later that year, they're in the big leagues with that team. Or they, it's not like uh, Dylan Head here with the Padres is going to be joining the Padres in the clubhouse on Friday in Philadelphia, right? So you probably get my point. Like it's, it's just you're not going to get to the level of the NBA and NFL draft because there's just not the familiarity there with most fans, you know, watching the draft, right? I think some know the college players, you know, from maybe the college world series or watching the college baseball season, but you just don't really know a whole lot about these guys. Um, what where's the draft is it's, it's in Seattle. I think, look, I think the draft being a part of all-star week, I think that's good in terms of like creating more attention on it. But it is pretty bad for the GMs. I mean, let's let's be honest. The front offices, they're jammed, packed with, you know, 
focusing on the draft, like all the information, all of the scouting, right? Their draft boards, they're all focused on that. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, right? A few weeks later, whatever, is the trade deadline. And those conversations happen weeks in advance, right? Like there's a lot of things that have to go on there. So July is the busiest month for them. So when did the draft used to happen? June, I think. I think it used to happen during the college baseball season because I remember Dansby Swanson, when he got drafted by, it was Arizona, right? Um, Him celebrating with his Vandy teammates after one of their games. Like it's just a different timing now. Um, So it's not great for front offices, I wouldn't say, but I don't think fans really care about that. But Major League Baseball, I think they could do a better job of marketing it, like making sure people really know about the draft and like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Like really know a whole lot about the top players that are going to be picked. And once those guys get picked, like really diving deep, or at least the teams diving deep into those guys, who those guys are, instead of just saying, you know, sending out an article or having one press conference. Oh, this guy is picked first round. There we go. You know, really sit down and, you know, maybe go behind the scenes with them and all that, like increase the access of these guys from the get-go. I think that could help. Just an idea going out there. All right. Enrique, back to chat here, says, I went to the game yesterday and it felt really good to see them win. Let's hope they keep up the momentum after the All-Star break. Yeah, and momentum gets thrown around a lot. I'm not a huge believer in momentum. Like, you're a good baseball team or you're not. You're a good offense or you're not. And I think this is good for the Padres. They get the rest and we can see if they're a good team. They can't rely on the momentum, like I said earlier. They can't rely on, oh, we had good series, good good homestand, 5-1 and one homestand, could have been 6-0. and oh. No, you had four days off. You have four days off now before going to Philly and you have to play a long road trip. You can't rely on the crowd or anything like that. So we'll see who they are out of the break. Uh, I'm excited to see who this team is. Right now, they're not a great baseball team. I know they're playing better, but right now, look, overall, they're not a great baseball team. All right. I'm I'm over an hour behind in the chat just because I usually give my thoughts on everything first and then I go through the chat. So just be patient. I'll try to get to as many as I can, if you want to make sure I get to your comment or your question, you can use that super chat uh, function, and I will definitely get to you. You go to the front of the line if you use that super chat function there. Albert says, I feel better for the second half. They have some chemistry, tight defense, hard work ahead, but moving in the right direction. I would agree on that. Yeah, moving in the right direction. There were some positives over you know these last six games in this homestand. JD's third says Soto called out Manny after the game. Really? If that happened, I would think that the beat writers would have tweeted about that. I'm just going through here. I don't see anything about that. I see Luis Camposano, he's continuing his rehab assignment with the El Paso Chihuahuas, so that's good news there. Robert Suarez is making progress, according to Bob Melvin, and Stephen Wilson 
he could be back during the Philadelphia Phillies series when the Padres resume their 2023 season. David asks, are you, were you comparing Snell to Nolan Ryan? Yeah. So when, cause I brought up that stat, right? Like first eight outings with the catcher 0.56 ERA only behind Nolan Ryan and urban Santana. Right. Uh, I'm not trying no. Look, it was just a stat that I saw and it was like, wow, Blake Snell is pitching really, really well right now. And look, he's right there with Nolan Ryan in this certain stat. No, Blake Snell is not Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan's like arguably, arguably the best pitcher ever. I, I, I'm not, no, I'm definitely not comparing Snell to Nolan Ryan. I'm just, there was a stat that I saw on social media about pitcher catcher and Nolan Ryan and Blake Snell happen to be in the same stat there, if that makes sense. So I'm not saying, is Blake Snell Nolan Ryan? Is he better than Nolan Ryan? Is he as good as Nolan? No, he's not. I'm not saying that. JD's third says, if all-star selections were based on recent results, we'd have maybe four or five all-stars. Unfortunately, they stunk it up in the first half and are fourth in the division just ahead of the Rockies. But no, JD's third. I, I disagree. Blake Snell, look at where he ranks among baseball just this year in total. That's an all-star. It's not just he's been really good as of late, but overall, no, he's been really good. Fernando Tatis Jr., sorry. He deserves it more than Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Look at the numbers, right? At the time of that selection, look at the numbers. Um, Hassan Kim, he's been pretty good all year long. Uh, I'm okay with him not being named an all-star, but it's not just because, like Snell, he didn't stink it up the first half of the season. He wasn't great every start out, but he was pretty good the majority of the first half, I think. And you look at Fernando Tatis Jr. He was more than pretty good when he came back since those first 20 games that he had to miss, right? So it's not just, it's not about the team performance. It should be about the players. Maybe it's part of it's the team performance, but it should be about how did those players perform? And I, I don't think Fernando stunk it up in the first half of the season. I don't think Blake Snell stunk it up in the first half of the season. I don't think Hassan Kim stunk it up in the first half of the season. I think that, yeah, he he had a little bit of a, a mediocre first month, I think, of the year. But he's been one of the Padres' best players. Uh, Sal says, Padres second half bullpen. Hater, Suarez, Wilson, Martinez, Hill, Cosgrove, Garcia, Morajone. Not bad. Yes. What you laid out there, that is intriguing. That is. That makes me more encouraged. But that's if Suarez comes back and he pitches like Robert Suarez of last year, late last year. That's if Steven Wilson comes back and pitches really well. That's if Tom Crosgrove continues pitching well. That's if Nick Martinez comes back and pitches like he pitched the last couple outings, right? Uh, in terms of like earned runs, right? Not allowing runs. Um, that's if Tim Hill comes back strong, right? Like there is question marks. You know, that's if Luis Garcia doesn't leak breaking balls over the middle of the plate, right? Um, better location from him. Like, there's question marks there. But yes, the talent there, it's better than what the Padres have had 
in the first half of the season. Um, and maybe AJ will go get an extra bullpen arm. We'll see what happens there. But yes, that that's that's a good group of arms there, I would say. JD's third says fans, coaches, and players didn't vote Snell in because he's lazy and only playing for his contract year. Pay him and see how he performs. That's not how all-star voting works, JD's third. A player sits there and thinks, oh, yeah, Blake Snell's lazy. I'm not going to vote for him. No, you look at the numbers. And fans have no control over if Blake Snell's an all-star or not. Because they didn't vote for pitchers. You vote. They voted for the starters, the position players. So that point is not fully accurate there. All right, just going through the chat, continuing to go through the chat. Apologies for the audio. I see someone says that the audio is not good. Hopefully it's okay. Sorry about that. Snell's not resigning with the Padres. I, I don't think he is, but maybe he's someone that likes comfort. And we know that he's comfortable in San Diego. And seems like a good clubhouse guy. Really good personality, obviously. Loves Don and Mud. Maybe the Padres can throw in some Donatangelos in there in Snell's contract, like a, a weekly restaurant uh, visit for Snell in there, paid for by the Padres. And that'll help Snell want to come back. Uh, I'm kidding. But um, seems like he likes it here. So maybe he's someone that doesn't go for the most money and he's like, I don't want to do this all over again, right? He was in Tampa, loved it there. Then he had to come to San Diego where he didn't know anyone. Does he want to do that whole thing again with the new team when he could stay in San Diego? He, if the, the Padres, if they do sign Snow, like he will still get paid. He will still be set. Like he'll be fine. But, you know, it's, it's probably hard, especially when you're a Boris client to, just go to a team that is offering you a eh, amount of money instead of a team that's, you know, blowing you away with an offer. And I feel like someone, maybe multiple teams, someone will blow Blake Snow away with an offer. It, it, that's just going to happen um, because they see the potential. They, they see how he's pitching right now. You know, Carlos Rodon, come, he, I think he had a really good platform year and he got paid, right? He just made his first start of the year. So sometimes those contracts don't work out great, right? Uh, there's still a lot of time in the the Rodon contract for the Yankees. I'm just I'm just saying, like that's that's a recent example there. Um, let's see here. Going through the chat. Austin says, get a guy like Bellinger or Justin Turner and a reliever and call it a deadline. So, yeah, kind of moves on the margins and upgrade from Matt Carpenter for, like, the DH. Someone that could play first. Maybe have Crony split some time at second base with Hassan Kim. Bellinger or Turner being a Dodger. Or, excuse me, they were Dodgers. Being a Padre. Sorry, there's some noise outside that. It's kind of distracting. Um, Bellinger and Turner, those guys being former Dodgers, I don't know how they would be received 
by Padres fans, but the front office shouldn't care about that. Uh, Peter Seidler probably shouldn't care about that. He just wants to win. Uh, Bellinger, I think that's, you know, Justin Turner, don't know about that. But Bellinger, someone that can play the outfield, someone that can play first, someone that can DH, that's an intriguing fit. Now, are the Padres willing to give up more for him than so, a team like the Yankees? I know I, I've seen a lot on a lot of Yankees fans wanting to have Cody Bellinger. Um, so maybe it'll come down to the package and do the Padres want to give up a bigger package than another team for Cody Bellinger for one year, less than one year of Cody Bellinger. And maybe he walks in free agency and the Padres don't make the postseason, you know, cause that's a possibility. You know, you go acquire Bellinger, you give up assets, prospects, whatever. And you get nothing to show for it, you know. That's a risk that AJ has been willing to make in the past. Will he be willing to make that again? We'll see. But yes, I agree, Austin. I agree, Devin. Make small moves. Don't add. I don't. What are the big pieces to add at the deadline? Marcus Stroman, if, if the Cubs want to deal him. Otani, I don't even. I'm not. I'm not even putting Otani on the table just because the Padres they made that trade last year with Soto. They don't have it for Otani. Um, and I don't think he's going to get traded. Like, who is that big guy that's going to get dealt? You know, I guess you point to like Lucas Giolito, but he doesn't. That's not. That I don't think that would blow me away. Um, I'm sure there's some other guys that I'm forgetting. But yeah, it, it's small moves on the margins. That's the way the Padres. I think should be going about the deadline if they continue to play good baseball. If they don't out of this all-star break, then I, I think it's, it's the smartest thing to do is to really think about selling off Josh Hader and Blake Snow to improve your chances at winning next year. Oh, so now we want Dodger leftovers. I see in the chat. I don't know if it's so much about Dodger leftovers. It's guys that, are just playing pretty well for their respective teams this year. Let's look at Bellinger. Would he be an upgrade over Trent Grisham? Yeah. He's almost hitting 300. Not a ton of home runs, but he has a 128 OPS plus. We know the defense is there. He's a good defender. He can play first, like I said, can play center, can play other positions, can DH. And what has Grish done this year? This is baseball reference, so this is entering today, but 95 OPS plus, 128 for Bellinger, 846 OPS for Bellinger, 694 for Grish. Eight home runs for Grish, 208 average, nine home runs for Bellinger, 298 average. You know, like there's a there's a significant difference there between those guys. Uh, Steven says, let's be careful what we wish for with this super expensive payroll. Peter Seidler passes all the costs and higher prices to the loyal paying customers who really put their own money in. Uh, I mean, are the Padres making a profit this year on the payroll? It seems like they're losing money actually this year with the whole Valley sports stuff. And yeah, they're getting a bunch of sellouts and getting, but like you can't have more sellouts than they're having essentially. You can, you can sell it every game, I guess, but 
not you're not you're probably not going to get this great of attendance every single season. Maybe you won't get it next year. So there's there's a cap there on the attendance. There's there's a cap on the uh, the amount of money that you can make from that. So yeah, they're making money a bunch of money from that, but they're just putting that right back into who they're paying. So I don't know how much about your point, Stephen, with Seidler passing just the costs and the higher prices to the paying customers. Yeah, they have to have higher costs because of the payroll, and it is a business still. But I don't really know how much money the Padres are actually making this year. JD's third says, AJ's draft record in his tenure is abysmal and atrocious. I disagree with that. I would not say it's atrocious. I would say his development maybe is not good. But Cal Quantrill, big leaguer, he's worked out pretty well. I know not with the Padres, but he's been pretty good. Eric Lauer, um, Mackenzie Gore, obviously, CJ Abrams, James Wood, Robert Hassel. Like they got Juan Soto from it, you know? Uh, and he's had some late finds as well, like Tom Cosgrove recently, right? Um, Steven Wilson, I believe, was a homegrown Padre player. I know this wasn't a draft, but Tatis, like you got to give him credit for that too. Um, what are the the recent Dylan Lesko, high upside guy? So I would not say it's abysmal and atrocious. I would say it has not been as successful as Padre fans probably would have wanted it to be so far at the big league level for the San Diego Padres. But some of those players have ended up being, Ty France, have ended up being good Major League Baseball players. And the whole book on AJ's draft record, it has not been written yet. What, what is C.J. Abrams going to be? What, what is Mackenzie Gore going to be? What is James Wood and Robert Hassel III going to be? Right? Who is What is Dylan Lesko going to be? What is Robbie Snelling going to be? Right? What is Dylan Head going to be? Until we know, like, I don't think we can fully judge AJ and his, his draft record. Jackson Merrill, right? Seems like, you know, he just played in the futures game the other day. Seemed like that pick's pretty good. So the book's not written fully on that. All right. I see some comment, just a lot of comments amongst yourselves, and I love that. But just scrolling to see any comments or questions kind of addressed to me um, that or good points made that I wanted to address here. Sal says, name another starting outfield for which you'd trade Tatis, Soto, and Grisham. That's a good question. Um, just based on record, I mean, I, I think about the Atlanta Braves. That outfield comes to mind. But no, that's, that's a good point. Like, two-thirds of the outfield is two of the best players in baseball, Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. And Trent Grisham is really good defensively. So, yeah. that That's one of the strengths of this team, I would say, is the outfield. Maybe not def defensively in left with Soto, but, no, that's, that's one of the strengths. When Soto and Tatis are going, 
That's two-thirds of the outfield there. That's really good. Um, let's see here. JD's third, uh, in response to me talking about AJ's draft history, we have a nine year history of AJ's draft picks. Yes. And no, like a lot of these draft picks that he has had, we don't know what they are yet. So how can you judge and say he's been atrocious at drafting when you don't know how good of a player they're going to be? He's, he's gotten a lot of high-caliber talent recently in the draft with Merrill, with Wood, with Hassel. I know not all these guys are still with the Padres, but he has nailed a lot of draft picks. And, and I'm talking about nail, like it landed Juan Soto for it. Like those, the nationals wanted those guys that AJ drafted. JD's third, look up here, do this for me. Look up AJ Preller and his draft picks and just list them. Let me see if I can look this up. I don't think it's been as bad as you're saying that it's been. Again, if you're looking at it from, well, those guys haven't developed and become all-stars with the Padres, I get that. But AJ has used those guys to go get proven star players. Now, those star players have not always translated and been great with the Padres when they get here, but AJ can't control that either. You know? Um, let's see, San Diego Padres first, this is just first round. So this is not the whole draft. Let's go to 2015. Cause I think that was AJ's first draft. Okay. 2016 starting there. Cal Quantrill. He's in the big leagues with the guardians. Hudson Sanchez. Okay. Yeah. That didn't work out. Eric Lauer in the big leagues. Mackenzie Gore in the big leagues could end up being the Nationals' ace. Ryan Weathers, yeah, that's work in progress. Uh, C.J. Abrams, couldn't end up being a star for the Nationals. Robert Hassel, couldn't end up being a star for the Nationals. Jackson Merrill, could end up being really important for the Padres if he comes up with the Padres. Dylan Lesko, could end up being the future ace of the Padres. So, yeah, not every GM is going to hit on every first-round pick. But... There's a lot here where it's like, yeah, they made it to the big leagues. Yeah, they they could end up being really good players in the big leagues. Not all of them are with the Padres, but again, AJ has used those great draft picks to go get someone like Juan Soto. Sorry, I'd rather have Juan Soto on my team than someone who is unproven. Now, high potential but is unproven. I'd rather go for it with Juan Soto with the talent on this team.
All right. I want to hit on, sorry for the pause there. I was just looking through the comments. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I'm sure at the end here, there's going to, you know, when I'm reading through the comments, there's some pauses. So don't think that the show's over or it's glitching or something. I'm just reading through the comments here live. So there might be some pauses. (laughs) Sorry about that. All right. Let's move to some San Diego sports stuff. So the San Diego Loyal over the weekend, they were able to get the win. Obviously a disappointing draw in their last match against Indy. They had, I believe, a 2-0 lead. And then there were some dumb decisions. And it ended up being a draw there. Disappointing. But over the weekend against Hartford on the road, they get the 2-0 win. Uh, Conway had a goal, a a pretty easy goal past the keeper uh, in the 18th minute. Keeper came out, and that allowed Conway to have an easier goal there. Uh, And then he scored again on an assist from Moshebon in the 61st minute. That was a good pass from Toomey. And so the Loyal now, they are 7 Five and six, seven wins, five losses, six draws on the year. It was a good win. And this continues their stretch of road games. It feels like they've had a ton of road games this season. Um, And next up, Friday at Colorado Springs. And then the big friendly, obviously doesn't count towards USL standings, but the big friendly July 27th at Snapdragon Stadium against Borussia Dortmund. Gio Reyna, and did McKinney sign with Dortmund, I think? I think I saw that. Let me double-check that here. McKinney. I swear I saw that. Yeah, I believe I believe he's with Dortmund now. So if he plays in that, like that's going to be very attractive to San Diego fans as well. So that'll be a cool event, seeing a San Diego club take on a huge uh, football club of uh, – a club that is known internationally, right? And there's the Wrexham, the Wrexham uh, Man United match as well uh, at Snapdragon later this month. So that's going to be fun. Moving to the San Diego Wave, they were not able to win. They have not won a game at Snapdragon regular season in a while, but they were able to take a point away. It did not look like they were going to get a point. But Taylor Korniak, like last minute before extra time, but 90th minute, she ends up scoring that header to allow San Diego to get the the 2-2 draw. Um, But yeah, this game, I think think Casey Stoney said after the game they thought they should have won this game, and the crowd was great. They were competing with the Padres game at the same time, so it was not as huge of a crowd, but it was still over 14,000 fans. With no Alex Morgan or Naomi Gurma or Kaylin Sheridan or Trinity Rodman or Ashley Sanchez. So San Diego soccer fans still showed out. Wave fans still showed up. So props to them. Uh, but playing with the backup keeper, uh, Yanez wasn't the smartest play. She kind of got a little relaxed with the ball uh, in the first half. A- Ashley Hatch, who I thought should have probably made the national team, uh, but U.S. Women's National Team coach, Vlatko, was, Vlatko Inanovsky was obviously looking for something a little different, uh, but she came out, sprinted at Yanez, and 
She ended up drawing a foul uh, penalty inside the box, ends up scoring on the penalty kick. And the, the penalty kick was so good. Like, Yanez even guessed right, and Hatch still drained it. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a foul where Yanez was kind of going for the ball, but Hatch got to the ball first, and so that kind of affected how it looked. And Yanez ended up taking Hatch down, essentially, and that led to the penalty kick. Uh, but Shorts, Cheyenne Short scored in the 46th minute. I love her hustle. Now, after she scored, almost like immediately, she ended up getting an own goal. So that allowed the Spirit to take the lead. So a couple mistakes defensively for the Wave with Inez and then Shorts. But I loved her hustle on that goal. Um, kind of, it was a ball in and hit a little bit off a couple Spirit players. And she was right there and was able to tap that in. So her first career NWSL goal, congratulations to her. Um, but then the own goal in the 54th minute, like it was, I think she was, she wasn't, obviously she wasn't trying to just clear it and, um, you know, allow or kick it out and allow Washington to have the corner kick. She was trying to retain possession of it. It looked like, and it was just such hard of a shot. Uh, that it ended up just deflecting into the net as an own goal. Um, so that sucked, and it looked like the Wave were going to drop this match. But Taylor Korniak, 90th minute, comes in on the header, and it was a high header shot into the net. Like, it, there there was some error on that. And it was really cool because Korniak, like, that's why I was a little bit surprised she was left off the U.S. US Women's National Team was because of her height. And when they need a goal, if they need a goal at some point in the tournament, you can go to her on a corner like that. Um, but, you know, she she obviously had the injury earlier in the year and didn't make the U.S. Women's National Team. That probably had to really sting for her. And so to get that goal, um, I mean, she you, you could see that she was really, like, kind of stunned by it, too, and uh, emotional about it too. So that was a really cool moment there. So a goal for shorts and a goal for Corniak. the wave, they draw with the spirit two two. And now this allows the wave to continue to get better with the group of players that they have. Hopefully Germa and Morgan are not with the wave anytime soon. And they go win the women's world cup. Like as a U.S. fan, obviously that like, that's what I'm hoping for. Obviously I, you want them to be with the wave, but for the world cup, you want them to go win the whole dang thing. So the wave, they're going to be without them for a little bit, but there's a long stretch here. I think over a month before their next regular season game, there's a couple challenge cup, maybe a few, actually a few more challenge cup matches in between, but those don't count in the regular season standings. So there's time here for this team to develop. Mel Barcenas, she looked really good. She had some shots. She had a shot late that was blocked at the very end. Her footwork is tremendous. I could watch that all day. So she's going to continue to develop. Jane Shaw had some opportunities. There was a Corniak header uh, that went high in the 45th minute. Shaw had a shot that went high in the 53rd minute. There was another shot that was blocked, um, that was saved by Washington as well. Like she's only going to get better, and she's a tremendous passer. So I think that this team they're they're going to continue to get better in practices, and they're going to get this time off and. I think that will help them, and hopefully they'll be an even better team coming out of this break. 
And I think they're going to, they would have a few matches, regular season matches before Morgan and Germa would come back and join the roster. Uh, assuming that they get all the way there, we probably shouldn't assume that like they wouldn't assume that because they're taking it game by game in this world cup starting, uh, I believe against Vietnam on July 20th, July 21st, somewhere in there. Uh, but look, they're expected to, to go win the whole dang thing. And today, actually, they had their send-off match in San Jose. Morgan did not score, uh, but Rodman scored twice, who's on the spirit. And US won. They, it was nil-nil late. Uh, it was past the 70th minute when Rodman scored first. Easy pass from Sophia Smith in, and then a really cool goal late uh, for her brace to get a brace there. Um, I think she's the youngest player to do that, actually, for U.S. Women's National Team. But so uh, Rodman's teammates, Gurma and Morgan, representing the wave there, they are now headed to, I think their first game is in New Zealand. New Zealand and Australia is where the Women's World Cup is going to be this year. And so the wave will continue to have to be without them. They're without Kaylin Sheridan, who's playing with Canada. They're without Sophia Jakobsen, who I believe was with Sweden. And... Emily Van Eggman uh, is with Australia, I believe. Or I could have, I think I, I may have mixed those up, but it's with Sweden and Australia, those two. Um, so they're without some players, but so are a lot of other teams. All right. Let's go back to the chat. Any last comments, questions, comments? Uh, let's see. David. You're talking about Tatis here. He says, is Tatis, is he top 10 as a defensive outfielder, Tatis? I'd be surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is. I'll say it that way. Maybe not yet, but he has a really good arm. His jumps are good. He's fast. Freak of an athlete. Um, I, I think he fits it. He fits the description as a top 10 defensive outfielder. And Grisham is up there too. Soto is not. But Grish is up there. Uh, John Wells says Alex Morgan needs a mural. <laughs> yeah, I'm when she brings San Diego that championship, and I think it's coming. Uh, she definitely needs a mural. Uh, she'll, she'll probably get one at some point here. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, to be honest, with all the murals that went up last year for the Padres. Uh, but she is getting her own Statue of Liberty that's going around the country to promote the world cup. I don't think it's going to be in San Diego, but uh, it was, I believe in LA, I assume at the send off match, probably somewhere in San Jose, it is going to be in Seattle for the all-star game. I assume it'll be in the big cities like New York. Um, so there is that, that, that statue of Liberty that they have for her is huge. Uh, don't know where she's going to put that one when it's all over with, but, yeah, I agree. She'll she gets a mural if I were in control of that. Okay, let's see. David asked, "Don't you think Hater is stingy with his pitching because oh, lost the comment." Because of where San Diego is in the standings, I think if the team was closer to the top, he would be willing to pitch more. I disagree. If the team was at the top, he wouldn't pitch more. I think he's pitching. We just saw him pitch three days in a row. 
right, against the Angels. He did that because of where the team is in the standings. If the team was high, he probably wouldn't feel the need to pitch back-to-back-to-back days because they're in a good spot, but they're not in a good spot. So he's like, no, I, I need to pitch three days in a row. And if he's looking at this, like, let's be honest, unless an injury happens, but let's be honest, this should help his free agent value because there's a lot of relievers, a lot of closers that have pitched three days in a row this year, and Hayter was not one of those guys before he did. And teams could use that against him in free agency. You're not going to pitch three days in a row. You didn't do that for the Padres when they were struggling. You're not a team guy. We're not going to give you as much money as you want. But if he can, he's going to have to do this more than once. But if he can do this multiple times this year, pitch three days in a row, I think that would only help him in his next contract in free agency. So I think he should have done that a little bit earlier in the season. But I do get that he is, he does have the long term view in mind. Uh, and wants to be available all season long for the Padres. And, obviously, doesn't want to get hurt because he has a lot of money on the line. David asks, which outfielders are better than Tatis defensively? Can you name them? Um, well, yeah, so I see JD's third about my other channel. Yeah, I, I don't post as much on there. Whenever I'm passionate about something, um, I'll usually post on there. Uh, Breakdowns, stuff like this too, just talking about baseball. Um, So I do follow Major League Baseball. It's not just the Padres. So other really good defensive outfielders, um, I think you got to start with Mookie Betts. I think Mike Trout's not the best, but he's pretty good defensively. Um, I think you got to go with Aaron Judge. I know people like to look offensively look look at the offense with him but he's really good i would say uh acuna he has an arm i wouldn't put him up there with like mookie Betts though i'm trying to think around the league buxton was up there but now he's dhing with the twins so you can't really have him in there in that conversation um I'm just trying to go division by division. Corbin Carroll's all right. He's not He's not all the way up there. But there's no one... Like, Tatis sticks out because of the, the athleticism, you know? There's not a lot of guys that have that in baseball. You know Ellie De La Cruz, but that's infield. That's not on uh, in the outfield. Is there... I assume on fan graphs, they would have defense stats. Now this, I don't know if this is like jump or anything. Like there's a lot of infielders on here. I see Starling Marte on here. Trout's up there. Oh, that's not, that's standard. Sorry. I'm looking at. The advanced here, fan graphs. Um, outfield, outfield, outfield. Kevin Kiermeyer, obviously. But that's, I think of him more like, I think he's past his prime one, but I think of him more defensively, just like catching the ball and running down balls than his arm. Tatis is, if you look at outfielders, Tatis is up there. Like you look at fan graphs and the defensive war, it's a lot of, Shortstops, catchers, um, 
But you look at the outfielders, I'm, I'm seeing Kiermaier, I'm seeing Tatis, I'm seeing Jake Myers, I'm seeing Michael Harris, Weimer, Luis Robert. So Tatis is up there. And Judge, he's hurt, but Judge is up there too. Bellinger's up there, I would think. All right, I don't see any other comments. So that's going to do it. Talking Fires episode 425. Thank you so much for the time. Ben Fadden signing off here. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not already. Turn on those notifications so you don't miss when a video goes out. You don't miss when I go live. So you can be a part of these live streams. And uh, you can follow on social media at Talking Fires, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on threads as well. Um, and what else? Uh, what else am I forgetting? Talking Friars, code Talking Friars, $20 off your order on SeatGeek, trying to help you out there. And thank you for listening on the podcast platforms as well. If you don't want to watch on YouTube, uh, you want to skip through some things, you can go on the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I think it's wherever you get your podcasts. So there you go. Thank you all for the time. Have a great rest of your night. <laughs>